Okay, so let's read the opening scriptures. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. That's the baby in the manger. Being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Also, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And finally, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, Father, we come before you in prayer, Lord. I pray for your anointing upon this message. And, Lord, as we celebrate the uh, first Christian uh, uh, Christmas uh, evening and uh, later morning, Lord, I pray that you would just help us to meditate upon who you, the Lord Jesus Christ, really are. And uh, we thank you for visiting us in power, Lord, and penetrating our hearts, Lord, and help us to think and meditate upon what uh, Christmas means to us when you came here to earth and then later grew into a man and died on the cross for our sins. And Lord, you are coming again. You're You just didn't come one time, Lord, but you're coming a second time. And we eagerly await for your uh, glorious appearing, Lord. And uh, bless this message now, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I want to speak to you today from the message, The Jesus of Christmas, Past, Present, and Future. Now, this is part of a little mini-series that I've been uh, speaking to you on Christmas. Uh, We uh, talked about it last Sunday, and we'll do it again this Sunday. And the pattern for both messages will be the same. We'll talk about Christmas's past, present, and future. And when we think about that subject, of course, we think about the uh, Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. You know, I spoke on that last week, so I'm not going to elaborate on it this week. But uh, basically, you know the story. Uh, You know, we've probably all been experienced uh, to it at one time or another. And as I mentioned last week, sometimes I think that, uh, you know, we're often substituting these other figures during Christmas time instead of focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ who is the reason for the season. Amen? Right? You know, we've got Santa Claus and then to a lesser extent we've kind of got Ebenezer Scrooge. But these are not what Christmas is all about. It's all about Jesus. Hallelujah. Now there's two scriptures I wanted to share with you at this time. And the first one is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And also, uh, Hebrews chapter eight, uh, 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, since Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, what happened with Jesus Christ in the past has relevance to us today and into eternity future. Amen? Hallelujah. First of all, Jesus is the eternal one. We need to understand who Jesus was before that very first Christmas that we celebrate. He was the very eternal God who became flesh on our behalf. The, word, uh, the Bible tells us in John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You look at that in the beginning, you know what that means? That means from the beginning of creation. Jesus is the creator. Tells us that further in John chapter 1. He was in the world and the world was made by him. And the world did not know him. So he was the word. The word was God. And that word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 1, verse 14. Now, one of the attributes of God is eternity of being. God has always existed. Amen? You believe that? They're always, you know, I, I remember the first time I heard that. I think my sister heard it in her Sunday school class. And I was talking about God. And I said something about, you know, maybe the God had a beginning. I don't remember exactly. But the, uh, I do remember what she said right after that. He, she says to me, there always was a God. And I thought about that and it just boggled, absolutely boggled my mind. But you know, it's true. There always has been God. We know this from Psalm 90 verse 2. The psalmist writes, and by the way, that psalmist happened to be Moses. This was the only psalm, Psalm 90, that was written by Moses. He wrote, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Everybody say that. From everlasting to everlasting. Now everybody knows what to everlasting means. That God is never going to end. You know, he's never going to cease to exist. And he tells us that we are never going to cease to exist either. But in contrast with God, of course, we had a beginning. We had a moment that we were born into this world. So, lest we think that the same thing was true with Jesus, Jesus existed from eternity past. Now, the point that I'm trying to make here is from everlasting, that means to eternity future, 
I mean, to everlasting, that means to eternity future. So from everlasting must be to eternity past. Everybody see that? Okay? Now, here's the thing, is Jesus has also always existed from eternity to past. We know this from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, even though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. That's the same terminology in Psalm 90 verse 2. From everlasting. So we know that Jesus also has always existed from eternity past. From eternity past, there was just the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And at one point in time, He chose to create the angels in heaven, the earth here, and all mankind. But he has existed, he's always existed from eternity past. So this scripture is particularly interesting here. Uh, that is Micah 5.2. Not only does it reveal where the Messiah would be born. Where was the Messiah born? I don't hear anybody telling me. Where was the Messiah born? Bethlehem. So 700 years before it happened, Micah predicted that the Messiah, the ruler of Israel, would be born in Bethlehem. Okay? But it also reveals that this Messiah had existed from eternity past as well. Now, right after Adam and Eve first sinned, Remember the story in the Garden of Eden? They partook of the forbidden fruit. You know, it doesn't say it's an apple like uh, so often we think. You know, I don't know what, what it is about uh, the poor apple that it gets this uh, label. It just says the forbidden fruit. And that was the sin is God, uh, Adam and Eve's sin is the fact that they disobeyed God who told them not to partake of the uh, fruit of the... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, the tree of uh, uh, knowledge of good and evil. Okay, so right after they sinned, uh, <clears throat> right after they sinned, God not only pronounced judgment upon them, right, and He banished them from the Garden of Eden. He told them in the day that they partook of it, they would surely die. And they did die that very day. They uh, didn't, wasn't just the very uh, day. It was the very hour, the very minute, the very second. They sinned and they died spiritually. And consequently, all of us are born dead spiritually. But God not only pronounced the judgment and he banished them from the Garden of uh, Eden, but he also pronounced judgment upon Satan, who had tempted them. And he said this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. 
And I will put enmity between you, that is Satan, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. Notice right there, it's uh, capitalized, seed right there. So the, the seed there would be the future deliverer. Sorry. Okay, yeah, right here, seed. You notice how it's capitalized. And so that was referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this seed, the Messiah, he shall bruise your head, Satan's head. Actually, the way that the Hebrew reads is that he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. So Genesis 3.15 was the first of what we call the Messianic prophecies. These foretold that God was going to send mankind a future deliverer who would deliver us from our sin. So that was the first indication there. He would first deliver us from our sins and then return as ruler over all the earth. That scripture also reveals that while Satan would be defeated by the deliverer, he would also be wounded by uh, Satan and his minions, both me, uh, <clears throat> men, the people that choose to follow Satan, and the spiritual. That's what it means by he will, bru uh, uh, he will bruise your heel. That was a prediction that Jesus Christ himself would suffer in order to deliver us from our, our sins. Now, Paul, looking back at what had already, by this point, by the time Paul wrote uh, Philippians chapter uh, 2, it had already happened that the uh, uh, promised Messiah suffered and bled and died on that cross for our sins. And he wrote uh, this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage, but he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of the servant. As I mentioned, that began right there at the manger that first Christmas morning. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death on the cross. Now this is why... Paul writes, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus Christ, in eternity past, and from the creation of uh, everything, he was rich. Right? He, he dwelt up there in heaven. You know, you get catch a glimpse of that. You know, the story that I've read to you before in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And the angels circled around that throne room and cried, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Hallelujah. So, he was rich up there in heaven, but he chose to become poor. 
He exchanged that exalted position in heaven where he was worshipped by angels. He exchanged that position in heaven for what? For an earthly stable. The lowliest place imaginable. Amen? Think of that place, that lowly stable. The place was dank, dark, smelling, and in the most unsanitary condition that you can ever imagine someone being born. It was not a palace. It wasn't even in a, a middle class uh, conditions. Or even that inn where there was no room. It was in that stable that God chose for the Lord Jesus Christ to be born. <clears throat> And I'm not taking the time to read the story. You know, we all know the story of how Jesus was born in the uh, stable and laid in the manger. And then the angels appeared to who? Who did they appear to? You know, these are the same angels, remember, that worshipped him in the past from the moment that they were created. They didn't appear to King Herod. They didn't appear to the nobility of the Jewish nation. They didn't even appear to the religious leaders. Who did they appear to? Shepherds. Shepherds? Now you have to understand in their society the place that shepherds held. Shepherds were considered down as the lowest of the low professions, probably about e equal with the prostitutes. You know that a, in their society, a uh, shepherd's testimony in a court of law was considered invalid. So a shepherd could go out and see somebody murdered and he couldn't go in front of the court and testify that I saw so-and-so kill so-and-so. He couldn't do that. You know, the only people that were lower than shepherds on the social scale at that time were the lepers. Now, God does not take such an unfavorable view of uh, uh, shepherds. You say, how do you know that? David. David. And who else? Who else was a shepherd? Well, Jesus says that he's the good shepherd, yes. But Moses, right? Was Moses a shepherd? Yeah, in fact, he was a shepherd for 40 years before God called him back. And you know, the fact that Moses and David had been leading sheep, that prepared them for the future leadership positions that they held. They were the greatest leaders in the Old Testament. You know that? And God made them shepherds so that they would learn. They would learn humility and they would learn how to, to lead. So God doesn't take that same position of thinking uh, shepherds as lowly people. You know, I think that in a Jewish society they would figure that out because their greatest leaders, you know, Moses and David, were shepherds. That they would figure it out that maybe being a shepherd was not such a lowly position after all. 
But this is all part of the way that God beckons to us to come to him. He does it in the most humble ways that we can think of. You know, he doesn't demand that we follow him. He beckons us. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So the very thought of God entering this world as an infant is just staggering. But this was only the beginning. God's, uh, Jesus' mission always included the cross. You know, we read about that in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. The baby in the manger was the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. John 1, 29. So Jesus was literally uh, born in that manger, manger that he might die for our sins. Jesus was called to die. You know, how many of you ever seen that movie, King of Kings? I looked it up on the uh, internet and I found out that it was uh, first aired in, the, well, it wasn't aired, but it was in the uh, theaters in 1961. And I remember that that would have made me 10 years old at the time. And I remember when I was growing up, there were two movies that really deeply affected me regarding my Christian walk. One was uh, uh, The Ten Commandments, and the other was this movie, The King of Kings. And I still remember as a 10-year-old boy sitting in that theater and seeing Jesus hanging on that cross. And I remember seeing his mother come up to him and I don't remember the dialogue or something like that I just remember his blood running down that cross and I was thinking to himself you know that Mary she was the one that had held him you know and nursed him and laid him in the manger and now she sees him and he's no longer her baby boy he is her Savior because he was dying on that cross for her sins as well as everybody else. And I remember how that really deeply affected me. So, Jesus fulfilled his mission to pay for the penalty of our sins. And after dying on the cross... God raised him from the dead and he ascended up there into heaven. God exalted him to the highest place and give, gave him the name above every names, uh, every name. You know, we read about that in uh, Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 11. Wherefore God has also highly exalted him because he, was humili he, uh, he humbled himself. He allowed himself to be humiliated on that cross. God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee shall bow, of things on heaven and things on earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. Think about that, brothers and sisters. Here's all these 
religious rulers and secular authorities that railed against him, made fun of him while he was hanging at the, uh, there on the cross. One day, they will have to bow down to that very Son of God that they crucified and confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. So, Satan and his minions that energized the rage of those religious and secular authorities against Jesus leading to his crucifixion will one day be bought, brought low and forced to confess that he is Lord. That includes all that rail against him and his followers today throughout this entire world. And from, you know, really the, the entire history of mankind. One day every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and things under the earth. And they will have to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, in Bible times, those that saw him afterward, after God had raised him from the dead and exalted him to this position... When they saw him in his full glory, including the Apostle Paul and the road to Damascus, and, all, and the Apostle John. You know, the Apostle John never was awestruck by Jesus' presence before when he was his disciple. But now, Jesus has been exalted. And you read about this in the first chapter of the book of Revelation. He just was awestruck. And when he saw the glory that Jesus has even today. Like I've told you before, if Jesus suddenly appeared before us, you know what would happen? Every single one of us would be on our knees. Amen? Hallelujah. Okay. Who is the Jesus of the future? We read about this in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. John writes, seeing in the vision that he received on the Isle of Patmos, recorded in the book of Revelation, verse 19, or chapter 19, verse 11, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was faithful, called faithful and true, and in righteousness he rules and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written on it that no one knew except himself. He was clothed in a, with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Same thing back in John 1.1. Amen? And the armies of the heaven clothed in white fine linen. That's going to be us, too. We're going to come back with him. White and clean followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations. And he will, himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierce, fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So the babe in the manger who came to earth humbly now returns as a conquering king. 
And Paul wrote that we pre preach Jesus Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. We read that in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. This is at Jesus' first appearing. So Jesus is a stumbling block to the Jews. They stumble over him. Now, why is that? You know, they stumbled over this. You know, the babe in the manger who would eventually die on the cross for the sins of the world as a suffering servant as recorded in Isaiah chapter 53. <clears throat> 53, especially verses uh, 5 and 6. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. That's a stumbling block to the Jews. Now, why is that? Well, you see, there's two different strains of messianic prophecies. Remember, uh, there's something like uh, 300 messianic prophecies. I'm just giving you a few. You know, Genesis 3.15, Micah 5.2. There's also uh, Psalm 22, which is a picture, word picture of crucifixion. A thousand years before crucifixion became a form of execution. And of course, Isaiah 53. That's the suffering servant. But there's also messianic prophecies of that, uh, of a conquering, <clears throat> conquering uh, king. And the Jews just earnestly wanted this conquering king at the time. Why? Because, you see, they were under the boot of Roman domination at the time. They were being oppressed. They said, where's our Messiah that's going to deliver us from this? They wanted the conquering king, but they didn't want the suffering servant. Now that conquering king comes true there in that verse, uh, that scripture I just read you in Revelation chapter 19. The Jews wanted that conquering king, but they wanted no part of the suffering servant who would save them from their sins. When God spoke to Joseph, you remember the story how Mary turned up pregnant? And Joseph, her betrothed, wanted to put her away quietly, being a righteous man. But then God spoke to him uh, uh, in a dream and told him that it was true that she is with child, but, the, but with child of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you will call him Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. That's what Jesus means. It means Jehovah is salvation. God would bring salvation to mankind. He would be the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent and deliver us from our sins, save us from our sins. You see, the conquering king could have come and gotten rid of the Romans, but you know what? the people would still be there in their sins. They wouldn't be saved from their sins. What's the point in, you know, having 
a benevolent ruler over you if you're still there in your sins. And God loved us too much to allow us to perish there in our sins. And that's why he sent Jesus here to be that suffering servant for our sins. Now, you know, a number of weeks ago, the Sunday before uh, the election, I got up here and I preached my heart out. And I told you about this new woke religion that's going on. And this woke religion hates Christianity. They hate it. You know why they hate it? Because they want to die in their sins. They don't care about getting right with God. And being saved from their sins. They want to live in their sins. They want to live their homosexuality and their uh, uh, sexual immorality. They want to live with their abortions. And all the rest of those things that I talked about in this woke religion. And we pray, you know, I prayed with all my soul that God would give us godly rulers. But you know, God could give us a godly ruler that would begin to uh, put away all of this nonsense with this woke religion. But you know what? We still need to be saved from our sins. We need to repent of them. And God could give us a godly ruler, but until we're re willing to repent of our sins, it really won't do us any good. We need someone to save us from our sins. When the angel spoke to the shepherds, in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, he told them, for what there is born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus needs not only to be your Savior, he needs to be your Lord as well. So, what about you? Do you truly want a Savior? One who is going to save you from your sins. That means not only save from the penalty of your sins, but also from the power of them as well. So, this Jesus of the future, for everybody that will receive him as the one who will save us from our sins, this is what awaits us. Before Jesus ascended to heaven, he promised his disciples that he would prepare a place in heaven for us so that we can be with him forever. Jesus told his disciples, again this is in the upper room discourse, the swan song that he gave his disciples. Just before he went to the cross, he said in John chapter 14 verses 1 through 3, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. There are many rooms. There are many dwelling places. <clears throat> 
If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So he's going to return again for us, the bride of Christ, the church. And we will reign with him forever and ever. Revelation 3.21 Our future is secure in Christ. Look at how the Apostle John uh, describes our glorious future with Christ. Revelation 21 verses 3 through 6 And I heard a loud shout from heaven saying, Look, God's home is now among His people. He will live with them and they will be His people. God Himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. These things are gone forever. And the one sitting in the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. The one sitting on the throne, who's the one sitting on the throne? Jesus. That's who. I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down. For what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he said, it is finished. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of water of life. All who are victorious uh, will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. So what does this mean for us today? It means that Jesus, which means, you know what, uh, uh, and Jesus is called Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. Isaiah seven fourteen, He dwells in the hearts of every believer. And consider how Paul's words apply us to our here alive on earth. I've told you before, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the body, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Remember, we are to be saved from our sins, and how we are saved from our sins is we learn to live that crucified life. Because that babe was eventually crucified, we are also to imitate his example of humility and living a life of submission, living a crucified life. You know what, brothers and sisters? Jesus is no longer that babe in the manger. Amen? That was 2,000 years ago. He's no longer a babe in that manger. He is our king and our life if we received him into our life. His life in me changes everything. The Christian life isn't me trying to be more like Jesus through my own human effort, but it's by letting uh, Jesus express his life through me. The Christmas story is beautiful, but it's just the beginning. It's not the ending. And we need to be born again. Amen? 
Just as Jesus was born, we need to be born again. And that means that we begin to live that crucified life. So, conclusion here. Because Jesus became poor, we are incredibly rich. You know, just look at where Jesus is now. High and lifted up and exalted. And he's promised the very same exaltation to us that live uh, uh, choose to live in Him. And one day He is going to rise, raise us from the dead. Philippians chapter 3, verse 21 says He will transform our lowly body, the body that we live in now, that it will be like His glorious body. The body that we are going to live in for all eternity is going to be like His glorious body body that he has today and we read the great resurrection passages to i won't take the time to read them but in first thessalonians chapter 4 verse uh verses 16 and 17 talks about how the lord will descend uh, with a shout with the voice of the archangel and all of the dead shall be raised into a life of immortality the dead in christ will rise and become immortal and have the same body as Jesus. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses uh, 51 through 54 talks further about that glorious body that we will be raised in. So therefore, because he has died for us, we no longer need to fear death. Amen? And those that have passed already before us, we're one day going to see again. We don't need to fear death. Our loved ones that passed into eternity before us are with him now. And no matter what lies ahead, Emmanuel, God is with me. The virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So, is... Jesus with you now, brothers and sisters? Amen? Is He with you? Is He with you this morning? Has He truly saved you from your sins? Then we're to go out and live lives of humility and in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ now. Hallelujah. Praise Him. Don't you love Him today? Glory to God. Let's go close in a word of prayer. Father, we come before you and we praise and thank you for that very first Christmas morning. The babe in the manger. And it reminds us, Lord, that uh, you loved us too much to allow us to uh, die in our sins. And uh, Lord, all of us here, I look around, Lord, I see everybody and I know that they're Christians. But Lord, help us to go out and live this life of humility too, Lord. And you die, you came here to earth to die on that cross to save us from our sins. And Lord, uh, help us to live righteous and holy lives, Lord. And uh, live our lives in submission to you. And uh, bless each person here, Lord. And we thank you for being with us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Okay, so praise the Lord. I'm wrapping up a little bit early.